Lunch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we will be discussing an article from the May issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, What is Your Competitive Advantage? To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Tom Field, who's the Director of the Engler Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Field. Thanks for the opportunity, Aaron. Good to talk to you. Dr. Field, before we dive into and talk about the article that's from the May issue of the Beef Watch newsletter, show us a little more about yourself and your role there with the University of Nebraska as the director of the Engler Entrepreneurship Program. Well, Aaron, the Engler Entrepreneurship Program was developed about a decade ago at the University of Nebraska through a uh, investment from Paul Engler, a native son of Nebraska, who believed that there was a key role uh, that perhaps the university wasn't as focused on as it should be, and that was creating employers and innovators and entrepreneurs for growing the economy. So as we got into this work, it became clear that our mission was really to embolden our people on the courageous pursuit of their purpose through the art and practice of entrepreneurship. Early, early on, we thought our job was to build companies at speed. And then we figured out that nobody really wanted the university as a business partner, that the university wasn't really going to own all these companies. That was not, that was not the case. What we really needed to do is we needed to really invest in people and that those people then would build businesses and build uh, the economy through their own ownership. And so what we really are, if, if, if push comes to shove, is we're a place that just every day celebrates the founding father's vision every day celebrates the notion that uh, pride of ownership is the single greatest advantage uh, that any nation, any community, any person, any family ever has. Um, and that if we invest in people, not only while they're in the university, but more importantly, after they leave, and even more importantly than that, prior to them coming here, then we can maybe have some impact. Uh, my background, I've, if, if anybody looked at my history, they'd say, you didn't follow a very straight line and you don't pay attention clearly uh, for long periods of time. Um, and that might be true. I, I'm, I'm a wildly curious person that, that's had a lot of, of interest and opportunities. I've been really blessed by uh, so many opportunities to work with great people through my career. But just a very quick background, I'm a cow-calf producer. I own a ranch in, in western Colorado. Um, I am a non-resident owner, um, but we've learned how to make that work. It was an important part of our uh, succession and estate planning to, to skip a generation of on-ranch requirement to, to allow that business to survive and thrive, and we've done that. Um, I work a lot with uh, companies uh, both in Nebraska and across the country uh, spend a lot of time speaking and engaging with people, write a column for a couple of national publications, done a lot of writing in the, the world of agriculture and, and beef cattle. So I'm somebody who mostly is just curious about how the world works uh, and working with people who think that maybe the status quo could be uh, a little different. Well, I think that's a great lead into our topic today. And the title of the article from the May issue of the Beef Watch newsletter is What is Your Competitive Advantage? And as I wrote this and put it together, I asked four questions that start with the letter P. What is it about your place? What is it about your passion? 
what problem is there out there you could solve and and who are the people that you serve or could serve with the product or service you provide asking those questions of yourself and thinking about what opportunities are there out there that could help us be successful with our business around those four questions that start with p as you think about the students you work with as you think about the businesses you've seen them launch and even businesses you've had the opportunity to be a consultant for or be on the boards for how do those questions how to asking yourself those questions help you see where there may be opportunity well you're really on to something um with the the 4p approach uh, aaron and when when we look at growing companies uh or starting companies and and here's the reality for every company and it, and it doesn't matter small medium large what channel of the economy every company eventually hits a plateau and that plateau can be maintained for a period of time but ultimately that company will only be sustainable if it makes the choice to grow to to change and and when we look at the full scope of this so whether we're talking about starting companies or established companies it always always comes back to people always and there's two groups of people that are really really critical the in the business folks and they do matter um even if you're a family business with no outside employment you've got a group of people who are impacted in a very profound way by your business so you so we need to as owners think about the family as part of that people equation but then we've got our customers out there uh, and we have both primary and secondary customers if you're in the beef cattle business my primary customer might be as a seed stock producer my primary customer might be the people who are buying bulls from me but i have a secondary customer out there right their customer because if i sell bulls to someone who then produces calves that are not equal to the demand of the feed yard customer have i done my have i done my customer any service and and so the people side of it is just absolutely critical and and i think that's where it begins and i would throw a fifth p out there i think the other competitive advantage is purpose um what we are seeing and it is amazing in the business literature harvard business review i which i i i got to tell you i would never have thought this was going to come out of harvard they're saying in article after article after article those companies deeply tied to their purpose are in fact more strategically positioned for success in the long run there's all kinds of data starting to come out showing that that in family businesses across the across the economic landscape so this is great big family owned companies to 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 mid-sized and smaller owned family companies have a competitive advantage because their time horizon is longer they spend more time thinking about the future and and they balance that short intermediate and long-term look so competitive advantage can come from a lot of places i think Uh, the number one thing if you're going to start a company is you'd better understand that market do not write one line of code do not produce one finished product do not build inventory until you know that in fact you've identified a problem and a group of people who care enough about that problem to actually pay you to solve it right and profit would be another p in the whole equation 
Um, and then secondarily is if you have an established company, are you doing a good job staying on top of the customer demand and the shifting landscape that your customers may have? And it's, and it's one of the great challenges in, in production agriculture is how do we actually create that? Dr. Field, I also give some perspective on, obviously, in production agriculture, many of us are in a commodity business, and, and that's a challenging, and I think in my career, the focus has often been, you know, be a low-cost producer, and I'm not saying you can't pay or shouldn't pay attention to that. That's important. You got to know your cost of production where you're at, but how do you differentiate yourself from the others who are out there to give yourself a place where you have a, a leg up, an advantage? to everybody else? It's really a great question, Aaron. And the commodity business is, is, is a challenging one. And, and, it's, and it's one I grew up in and, I, and I've, I've spent a lot of time in that space. And for a long time, as you said, you know, we talked about low cost and we chased and, 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 the, and this, sort of, this sort of radical chase for efficiency, which in the short run uh, and even into the intermediate sense actually there's, there's sort of some justification. There's some value in that. And it makes sense, right? It's, it's, why, it's why we've done a lot of what we've done with improvements in genetics and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The challenge is, is how do we get value out of that? And one of the problems is, is how, how do we actually measure that value? So, you know, when I think about this whole how do I get myself out of the commodity mindset? It comes down to where do I find, where do I find opportunities to create realizable value, right? Where I'm actually going to get either directly or indirectly paid for value. One of the things that, that for example, and, and we find it in all kinds of places, we source and age verify at our ranch. And Early on, we did that because we thought we could find some market opportunities or have more flexibility in our marketing approach. But the unexpected advantage that we actually found was that by slowing down our processing at weaning time when we put those EID tags in, we actually started doing a better job vaccinating cattle. We just did a better job. We also handled the cattle better because we were a little bit slower. It did not change our, our labor cost in one iota, but we were producing healthier cattle. And where we saw the realized value is our replacement heifers were better prepared to become females. And we're assuming, and, 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 and frankly, that's the problem in this business, we're assuming that our feed yard customers were getting healthier cattle. And we have sort of indirect sense of that in that over the, the years, we've had one or two primary buyers out of Superior who are buying most of our cattle. So, you know, I think that's what you do is you just look for these, these opportunities and how do you layer value onto a foundation? So um, how do we layer value into that EID tag? How do I layer value potentially in looking for new markets? Now, Here's the reality, right? And everybody has their own definition of sustainability. And, and we've got to get, we've got to sort of sort our way through this. But this is not going away. This is just not going to go away. And it's okay for it to not go away. I think there are opportunities 
in the whole space of verified production practices, verified conservation practices, et cetera, to create a cooperative approach to putting together a, a, a pool of ranches and cattle that have been produced under a set of agreed upon standards driven by producers. Uh, and I want to say that, I mean, it, it can't, I can't count on somebody in, in Arkansas to write the standards without the local knowledge. But I think there's real power in that. And so I, I think we're going to go back and begin to look at cooperative co-branding models that make some sense that let us add value to cattle. And then I think the other piece of it, and this is, this is the one that we spend a lot of time with. We're in a world where there's so many different values that are going to start to be layered and directed at, at natural resources. So what are our opportunities in wildlife? What are our opportunities in open space? What are our opportunities in carbon? What are our opportunities in ecotourism? I've got to tell you, I think uh, that in light of this COVID thing, people are, going, people are stir crazy. People want or, and, and, and are going to increasingly want experiences that get them out of where they are. They've had all of the apartment, condo, house that they've been in. But they also are going, to, there's going to be a segment of our population who is still nervous about being in large groups. So who better, you know, I mean, I, I'm just saying, I mean, what better place to spend a week getting your head back together and, and reconnecting with all of the abundance that God's put on us than in a cabin on the Nibera River? Where, where else, right? Or, or you know, standing, I mean, I, uh, my, one of my favorite things is I, I love it when I get to go to the sand hills because there's magic there. So how do, we, how do we capture some of that? And, and I'm not suggesting we become urban cowboys and dude ranchers, but how can we create little pieces of value um, in our enterprises? And I'm not saying that ecotourism is the whole solution, but those are the things that you start looking for. How do we find ways to use all of the advantage we have as opposed to only focusing on the cattle? As you think about the students you work with and as we think about just people in general, how do you assess your own passions, the thing you're committed to? You know, I think for some of us, the idea of inviting someone from New York city to come spend a week with us would be, <laughs> that's so outside the comfort zone. Right. And so how do you, how do you begin to think about where's my passions at? What are my commitments? And this comes back to what you started with. What's our purpose as we think about how do we move forward and shape where we focus our efforts, our investment, our, our commitment to this business. Yeah. So in, in the world of passion, one thing that I've, I've come to grips with when I, when I was young, I thought life was all about being passionate. If I, if I, if I could just, just find the passion, right. And, and for me, it was cattle, people and landscapes early on in my career. And then that's, I was, uh, and I just directed this sort of unfettered, you know, enthusiasm towards that. As I've gotten older, um, and, and, and I don't know if this is wisdom or, or just uh, too much experience, <laughs> but, but what I've figured out, I think, and as I've, and I read a lot outside of ag, I mean, I read 
I read very little inside of the ag world because I'm counting on all the people I know who are really talented there to teach me that. So I read outside of the ag world. And, and what I'm learning is, is that passion is less a goal than it is an attitude. I can bring passion by choice to almost any activity that is worthy and aligns with my true north values. So for example, when I clean a barn, I can bring passion to that, right? It's, it's, I, can get, I can get really good at, at cleaning a stall and I can bring passion to that. And when I'm done, I can have a lot of sense of pride that I did that really, really well, that it's like, I did a good job. Um, so passion is, well, I think we bring it, right? It's, it's a choice. Purpose is that thing or those things where when we apply our passion, the most value is created both in fulfillment and in living out the purpose for which we've been assigned. And so, um, you know, and, and at, the, at the risk of, of putting my own value system out there a little bit, there's a very strong spiritual nature to this. Um, for however you view God, there is a spiritual nature to this concept of how am I going to spend this precious life that I've been given? How am I going to spend it? And where will the impact be? Um, and so I think, I think it's, it's passion applied to purpose. And if we can figure that out, and, and the way we do that is, is we have people spend a lot of time thinking about when am I in, in, in my most profound sense of engagement, of, of, of what the, a lot of times in athletics, they'll talk about being in the flow, right? Somebody gets in the zone. Um, you know, it seemed like, you know, great basketball players that we've watched over the years, whether it's the high school level or at the, at the NBA level, those great players, they get in that zone and it's like, it's almost like they are playing in a different game at a different level with, with just different capacity than everybody else on the court. Um, I still flash back to my high school days. I remember this kid from Ignacio, that uh, this this Ute kid who was an amazing basketball player, and and, and I can remember finally just watching him. <laughs> Coach yelled at me, "Watch him, regard him." I'm like, no, I'm just going to watch him because the guy is amazing and he's doing stuff I've never seen before. So how do we find that for ourselves, right? How do we find that? And I think it's a, I, I think it's literally opening ourselves up and asking for direction in that. And so that's a, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very philosophical answer to your question, Aaron, but I think that's what it takes to finding purpose and then applying our passion to that. And, but it, but it only works if we know what our true North is. We have to know, you know, those non-negotiable values around which we're going to operate. Dr. Field, anything else related to this topic that you think would be of value to our listeners as we point towards wrapping this up? No, I would just, I would encourage, you know, one of the things that I think is, is, is really important and what we've learned is, is you, you cannot do this alone. Don't do this alone. Get a group of friends and in that friend group, make sure you have people who see the world differently than you do. You know, I can get everybody together who agrees with me and, and fine. You know, we, we'll just pat each other on the back and add a boys and off we go. 
but we didn't grow and we didn't learn anything and we didn't, we didn't see an opportunity to pivot or to find value in another place. So broaden your network, read like crazy. You know, I think uh, there, there's a whole series of, of, of works out there. And, and um, if you go to the Angler website, you can actually find a lot of that. So angler.unl.edu, we actually have a resource list and we've got a great reading list if people are interested. But think outside yourself. Uh, one of the great lessons I've learned is, is that everything of true value is outside my comfort zone. Everything of true value is outside my comfort zone. So if we can embrace that, I think we find um, pathways that, that will be open to us. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today, Dr. Field. Yeah, my pleasure, Aaron. And thanks for the, the great work you're doing and, and best wishes and may grace be on all those who are uh, hearing your words and, and endeavoring to, to build value in rural America. Well, for more on the topic that we discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the angler.unl.ed website. Again, at that website, there's a list of good resources that relate to the topic we talked about today. Then also there is some information at the beef.unl.ed website.